0: I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to paint a room in your home or a floor in some house somewhere or maybe stain or paint a fence. If so, do you remember what you chose to wear? Uh, Maybe you put on an old raggedy t-shirt or some faded ripped jeans, stuff you didn't care, you know, if you got paint on it or not. Well, you know, as you you painted the walls or the fence and and as you were finishing up, you probably felt hot and sweaty, maybe a little icky. Uh, You feel a certain way if you're in clothes that are just covered in paint. But then maybe there was a part of you that felt, wow, I've accomplished something significant here. I'm going to go out and reward myself by going to a favorite restaurant. And so you took a a nice, hot shower, got really clean, and then because you were looking forward to going to this place that you love, you put on a favorite shirt or top or outfit. How we are dressed affects how we feel, and how we feel in turn shapes how we dress. We've been in a sermon series in the book of Colossians and we've seen how when a person's life is joined to Christ, they die to an older way of life and are raised up to live in a new kind of way. In the early church of the first century, before someone was baptized, it was not uncommon for them to take off their old clothes and then they were immersed under the water, and as they were brought up, they were given a new set of clothes. The clothes would be white in color to symbolize the purity of the new life they were entering into. And the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2 that when we were joined to Christ through our baptism, we went under the water, dying to an old way of life, and we were raised in newness of life. In Colossians 2.12, in the message version of the Bible, we read these words. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul says to us, God says to us through this book, live into the reality of your new life. You are the caterpillar that has experienced chrysalis that has morphed into a butterfly you have a new capacity for thinking and living and so embrace that newness the apostle paul says in colossians 3:10 put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator and then Paul also says in this same passage as you do that, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, we looked at this verse last week as Pastor Dan explained how when we are made new in Christ. We put off an old self, including harmful sexual practices. And today we're going to be looking at the passage that follows, where the Apostle Paul calls us to put off destructive anger and to interact with each other in new ways. In verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes these words, But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these—anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language—from your lips, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices. Now, the Apostle Paul mentions anger here. Let me make it clear that, according to the Scriptures, not all anger is sinful. There is a such thing as a right and just kind of anger when Jesus saw that the poor and vulnerable were being taken advantage of by the rich and powerful in the temple courts, Jesus became rightly angry. The Apostle Paul is not saying put off that kind of good anger. He is saying put off a sinful and destructive anger. In Verse 8, anger refers to a continual state of smoldering or seething hatred. Do you ever experience ongoing anger or smoldering resentment toward someone or something? If so, the Apostle Paul says that is an old coat. It's an old coat. Get rid of it. Take it off. There's a Buddhist saying that's very much in line with what Paul is teaching about Christ's way here in the passage. That goes like this, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the one who gets burned. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the purpose of throwing it at someone else. But you are the one who gets burned. We know that if we hold on to destructive anger, it also harms us as it releases stress hormones that can exhaust us and literally make us sick. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says... Get rid of rage. And rage here is anger which breaks out in angry deeds or words. Is You're driving if you drive. Um, have you ever experienced someone cutting you off and you felt this rage toward that person? Or maybe you're a parent. Have you ever felt a flash of anger toward your kids or people you live with? Or maybe to a complete stranger? Paul says... And so far as the coat of rage is concerned, better if you can't even put it on in the first place, Uh, take it off. Remove the old clothing. Uh, Dan Siegel is a professor of psychiatry at UCLA, and as I've shared with some of you, he explains the process that our brain goes through when we, quote, flip our lid. He says, if you put your thumb in the middle of your palm and then cover your thumb with your fingers, this represents a model of your brain. He says the, 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 the thumb symbolizes your limbic brain, which is the place that processes our emotions, including the emotion of anger. And Siegel says, let's call this part represented by the thumb or the limbic area of our brain, the quote, downstairs brain. And then he says, the fingers which cover the limbic area represent the cortex of our brain, which enables us to reason and to think through things and to regulate our emotions, including our anger. Siegel says, let's call this cortex part of our brain represented by the fingers our upstairs brain. Siegel explains that when we are very tired or feeling stressed out or someone just keeps pushing our buttons, keeps pushing, pushing, pushing our buttons, our limbic area starts to fire and fire and fire and the upstairs brain can't continue to regulate it and we just flip our lid. And in about two or three seconds go from being, well, a fairly reasonable person to just being out of control and saying things and doing things that may damage others. And Paul says, put off... The coat of this sort of rage. The Apostle Paul continues and says, put off malice, which means evil, with an intent to hurt someone. Do you ever want to (laughs) intentionally hurt someone? You don't need to raise your hand here. Um, In this book, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail, John Gottman, who's an expert on marriage, I highly recommend his his books if you're interested in the subject of relationships or marriage, writes this. What separates contempt from criticism is the intent to insult and psychologically abuse your partner or this person in your life. With your words and your body language, you're lobbying insults right into the heart of your partner's sense of self. Paul says, take off that coat. And then he says, take off slander. What is slander? Slander is speech which dishonors God because it hurts human beings made in his image. Uh, Some time ago, the New York Times published a story about this small town in the Midwest called Mountain Grove, a tight-knit community of about 5,000 people, so it's real small. And from the time the town has existed, there has been, you know, rumors and and gossip floating around. But up until more recently, people would gather at the local diner called Dee's Place, and they would trade stories from the news or talk about the weather and, yes, talk about their neighbors behind their backs. But more recently, when they got exposed to this social media site called Topics, which allowed you to post things about your neighbors under the cloak of anonymity. They were talking about the startlingly negative things that others were saying about them and each other at the diner, at Dee's place, and they were not happy. According to the reporter, one of the waitresses at the diner named Phoebe Beth said the site had provoked fights with people in the town and even caused divorces. The the reporter also interviewed the owner of the diner, Jim Deverell, who called the social media site a quote, cesspool of character assassination, and as they were talking, someone in the kitchen overheard the conversation, someone working there, walked out into the main area of the diner really angry, and said that someone, someone anonymously said this about my wife, Jennifer, who's also the mother of our two young kids. They wrote that she, my wife, was Yeah, and he just felt like honking his horn, you know. He was about to flip his lid. She was probably a bleep that the the Times, uh, you know, edited out. A quote, messed out, doped out addict with AIDS. Not a single word of that is true. But it has impacted the way people in this town treat us. And so we want to leave this place as soon as we can and we'll never come back. Paul is saying, put off the coat of slander and gossip and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of a God who brings people together instead of drives them apart. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says, put off filthy language This is not what you probably think it means. It it doesn't refer to what we would call swearing today. As far as we know, there wasn't the equivalent of the same swear words that we have today in the first century. Paul wouldn't encourage swearing. Uh, I I use a fair amount of uh, dictation software for my writing and messages, and every once in a while, I'll dictate something, and the the program Siri or Dragon will interpret it as an F-bomb. So I've sent out all these inadvertent F-bombs to people. If you've received one, just check the context before you judge me. If it fit the context, well, you probably deserved it. So just deal, just deal with it. One of my uh, colleagues actually gave me a little glass jar uh, with a label, Shiggy Swear Jar. Every time you launch an inadvertent F-bomb, put a loony inside and that will fund our book mission fund. This is not what that's referring to, although Paul would um, not encourage that either. Filthy language in the original Greek refers to abusive, harmful language that's said directly to someone or about someone. And I'm telling you, this is not hard to do. I've been writing this new book on shame, toxic shame, and, and grace, and the research shows that it takes less than three seconds, less than three seconds for shame to form in our brain, but between 30 and 90 seconds for affirmation to form. It takes less than three seconds for us to experience shame or have that form in our brain, but 30 to 90 seconds for us to consciously experience affirmation. It's really easy to hammer someone and hurt someone with our words. This is why the Proverbs tell us in the Bible that the tongue has the power of life and death. This is why Nelson Mandela wrote about the power of words. He said, it is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything for us, anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. Pastor David Daniels tells the story about a couple. Who had been married for 60 years, six zero years. And they shared pretty much everything. They loved one another deeply. And they had no secrets between each other except one. Right after they got married, the wife took a shoebox and put it on the top shelf in their closet and instructed her husband never open that shoebox. And never ask me what's inside. Well, he honored that. And then he just sort of forgot about it. 60 years of marriage passed. Reasonably, seemingly happy. And then the wife becomes gravely ill. She's taken to the hospital. The doctors and the medical staff say she does not have long to live. She better put her affairs in order. The husband remembers the box in their closet on the top shelf. He grabs it. And he takes it to the hospital. And he asks his wife do you mind if we open this now? She she, she says, yeah, it's it's, it's fine to open it now. He opens up the box, and inside he finds two crocheted dolls plus a wad of cash totaling a whopping $95,000. He says, what's up with this? And she says, well, On the day before we got married, my grandmother told me if you're ever in a fight with your husband and you're tempted in your anger to say something mean and hurtful, just crochet a doll first and you might just cool down and rethink that. He looks down at the box and sees there are just two crocheted dolls. It's like music is going off in his mind. He's thinking someone's calling him to congratulate him. And his uh, chest gets a little bit bigger. Tears form in his eyes. He's really moved by the love he and his wife have and the love he has for his own wife. And then he points at the wad of $95,000 and says, what's that about? And she said, every time in our marriage when I wanted to say something hurtful to you, I crocheted a doll and I sold it at the local craft fair. (laughs) (laughs) For five bucks. Now don't take this story the wrong way. Uh, I'm not saying that there's never a time to say something hurtful because sometimes we need to say truth that hurts. But the point is if we are feeling angry about to flip our lid and say something that might be damaging, it might be good, to crochet a dog, most of us probably aren't into that, or to take a walk or to take some kind of time out to clear our minds, so to speak, so that we don't say something or do something that we might regret. Sometimes hard words are necessary, this is why the Proverbs say, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. But sometimes in our irritation, sometimes in our hostile anger, we say things and do things that are unnecessarily damaging. And so this is why Bruce Meltzer says, before you speak, ask yourself if what you are going to say is true, is kind, is necessary, is helpful. And if the answer is no, maybe what you are about to say should be left unsaid. And as I'm interacting with people, I fairly often, I'll ask myself, is what I'm about to say helpful? It might be Painful, but is it, is it helpful? Is it redemptive in some way? Or I might say something that's embarrassing for me, but I ask, will this disclosure be helpful for the person I'm talking to? And if the answer is no, maybe not say it. If it's yes, say it. So how do we move into a space where we can take off the old jackets, set them aside, and wear the new clothing that Christ calls us to wear. How can we put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of our creator? Especially with respect to anger and potentially destructive things we might say or do. Well, one of the ways that we can take off destructive anger and put on the new clothes of love and kindness is through confession. In 1 John 1 9, we have a verse that is worth memorizing and memorizable, if that's an actual word. 1 John 1 9, some of you know this, we're told in Scripture, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're experiencing a destructive, sinful, dark anger, if we confess that anger, we can experience forgiveness, cleansing, be restored to a greater level of wholeness. So there's real value in that. But there's also value in simply confessing or naming our anger or negative emotion because the very act of naming it actually tames it. Dan Siegel says that when you Name a negative emotion, whether it's anger or anxiety or shame. It tames that emotion. If we were to put an fMRI scanner on you, and let's say you were experiencing anger, and you name the anger you're feeling, the fMRI machine will show that the anger in your brain, as you name it, starts to calm. Name it to tame it. So confession can be a way to take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes of Christ's love and kindness. Another way that we can put on the new clothes of Christ's love and kindness is by turning to Scripture. As I was preparing this message on Colossians 3.8, I came across the experience of someone named Leroy who talked about how this verse... But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips really jarred him and spoke to him. This is what he said. His name is Leroy. I had a violent temper. Whenever it flared up, I'd haul up and I'd bash my fist into the nearest door. Even though I'd often bloodied my knuckles and even once completely smashed a beautiful diamond ring my wife had given me, I couldn't stop. Yet here was God's word, get rid of anger. This wasn't just advice given to the people of Colossae centuries ago, it was God speaking to me right then. So I made a covenant with God, I promised I was going to work on it. My first step was to memorize this verse and review it daily. I prayed and asked God to bring this verse to my mind whenever I was tempted to lose my temper. I asked my wife to pray for me and remind me of this verse if she saw me failing in my promise to the Lord. So Colossians 3, 8 became a part of my life and gradually removed that sin from me. So confession, naming our anger, Turning to scripture and meditating on a passage that could help us resolve our anger can be helpful. And then finally, insofar as this message is concerned, we can engage in silent meditation. I talk about this quite a bit, but there's something about meditation that can fill us with a greater sense of peace and well-being and make us less reactively angry. In Colossians 3.15, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, And in the context, we know that Paul is encouraging the people at Colossae and us to have peace in our interpersonal relationships. But he also mentions peace in our hearts because he knows that when we experience peace in our hearts, real peace, the peace of God, we're less likely to flip our lids and interact with eruptive anger with each other. Some psychologists Believe that anger is a quote, secondary emotion, meaning that when we express anger, there's often another emotion that's sort of pushing the anger up and out. Emotions like fear and anxiety can be manifest in anger. Feelings of guilt and shame can be expressed in hatred. Emotions of frustration and discontent can be spewed in rage, in angry words or actions. And we know that if we become people of greater peace, we'll also become less reactively angry and more loving and kind in our interactions. Uh, This is part of the reason why I engage in silent meditation every morning. It's a a simple practice, but as I did this morning, I simply sit and breathe deeply in through my nose, exhale slowly through my nose. And these days, I'm simply using the word love to focus my mind and heart because I'm so easily distracted. Breathe in, exhale, and then I say love. Love as a reminder of God's character and the way he interacts with me and others. Breathe in deeply, exhale slowly, love. That's who God is. That's who's with me. Or I might simply pray, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And when I'm done, I often will feel just a little bit more centered, a little bit more peaceful and and, and, and grounded. And it changes the way I interact with people. As Craig mentioned earlier in the service, We heard the news, some of us this week, that we've just marked the one-year anniversary of the announcement of those 215 unmarked graves of indigenous children that were found on land that was formerly a residential school in Kamloops. Not long after, some of you may recall, for our online service, and we weren't gathering in person then, I interviewed Dr. Ray Aldred, a respected Christian indigenous leader. And you can watch that interview if you want on our website. It's on YouTube. And at one time during the interview, I asked Ray Aldred, how can we foster peace in this space between us, in a manner of speaking, between, quote, settlers and indigenous peoples? And Ray responded with a verse of Scripture. He said, First John tells us that We love because God first loved us. And then Ray said, you know, years ago, I was in a conversation with Paul Martin. If you're not from Canada, Paul Martin was our 21st Canadian Prime Minister. And Ray said, Paul Martin is this devout Catholic, and he asked me this question. After all the church has done to you and your people, how can you still believe in God? And Ray said, I responded, By saying, because we have received Christ's love, it's going to sound real simple, but because we've received Christ's love, we can love others. And if we've experienced trauma, especially as a child, understandably, it's going to probably make us more reactively angry. But if, as Ray spoke about, we receive Christ's love and peace, will be able to offer that love and peace to others. Confess your anger or resentment. Turn to scripture. Engage in meditation that enables you to receive a sense of God's love for you, a sense of his peace, and you'll become a person of peace. Some people think that Christian faith is primarily about rules and regulations, and there are commandments But at its heart, Christianity isn't about rules and regulations. It's about becoming a new creation. About transforming from caterpillar to to butterfly. Paul says in verse 10, put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of your creator. And in Psalm 104, We read that God is clothed in a garment of light and God calls us to also be clothed in garments of light. At the end of one of my sermons in the I Am series of Jesus, um, at the end of one of the messages, I, I spoke about this monk from Cyprus who said, when I was a boy, I had a little mirror." And I love to catch the sunlight and then shine the sunlight on other objects. And he said, as an adult, I I still carry a little mirror in my wallet to remind me that the purpose of life is to catch the light of God and to shine it on others. And God is calling us not to mirror back to the world, it's destructive, divisive anger, but to instead receive the light of God and then to reflect that light and love to those around us. Let's pray together. If you want, you can take a moment if you've experienced anger or resentment to simply confess it to God and as you confess it, You can know that God is faithful and just to forgive your sin, to forgive my sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can just name the anger or the negative emotion that you felt and offer it to God. And if you'd like, you can also pray, God, help me to receive your love and your peace. Help me to breathe it in even now that I might enjoy it, but so that I might also reflect your love and peace as a new person, as a person being made new to others. I receive your love and peace. Now help me to offer it to others.